Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Ferrari is Red, Red Bull is Blue. No matter which track, Mercedes won too. That title supplied on Twitter by Toby. Thank you very much, Toby. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty good, as I've managed to do all of the things before the show actually started, which is not always the case. I finished the race seven minutes before hitting record. One of those days where I just assumed I would be able to catch up with the race. But for some reason, now TV didn't have like a distinct program that I could click on demand. So I had to wait for the 6 p.m. replay. And I'm looking at it going, ooh, actually, that's going to be pretty tasty <laughs> for the 8 p.m. live stream. But I did it. I was still setting up uh, as as the race finished. Now then, Matt, overall, not quite as dull as Baku but could this just be expectation management because we all went to Baku going oh you know what happens in Baku smashing safety cars whereas when it comes to Barcelona we we kind of know what we're getting yeah I'd put this this is a classic Barcelona race in that overtaking is difficult there's not a lot of passing but I will just put in a plug here for any kind of a timing app, because if you were watching the timings as the race went, it was just you were constantly going, oh, 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 uh, until, of course, the safety car when everything got chucked up in the air. Fantastic. Well, then let's review the Spanish Grand Prix. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong. But we're first. We're also joined by Carter extraordinaire Alex Van Gene, who destroyed Kyle Edgy Power at the Missed Apex event a couple of weeks ago. And we are also joined by media expert Sarah Nichols. So that's Alex Van Gene and Sarah Nichols joining us on the panel.
Gene Z, that's not fair, is it, on Kyle? You two had a fantastic scrap at the Missed Apex event. It was awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. Because however many events I've been to with Kyle, I've never actually raced at the same weight on the same track, wheel-to-wheel with Kyle. And we had some fantastic races. I mean, I'll be biased and say that my battle with him and David Hatton in that fifth race was probably one of the best straps of the entire event no absolutely that is being used as the promo shots for the next event which we're looking at being on the 21st of september which is the singapore grand prix weekend we might mix that in with a a live viewing as well and maybe even a live race review but yeah check out the video from the last missed apex event at rye house cart raceway which is available on our youtube channel but jeansy when it came to qualifying it was a little bit of a surprise but for me is it fair if i say we normally think of bottas as being two or three tenths off on ultimate q3 pace if he suddenly pops up six seconds or 0.6 of a second ahead you don't immediately assume he's gained nearly a second in pace you think oh what's up there yeah well when you we got to watch lewis's lap that whole first lap and it was a terrible lap he was all over the place, especially in especially in sector three, um, and up until sector three, it was an okay lap. He was only a couple of tenths off. But he lost loads and loads of time in that final sector, so we knew that wouldn't be a good lap. Um, Bottas's lap was stunning. I'm taking nothing away from Bottas. It was perfect. It was on the money. Made no errors and deserved pole absolutely 100. Um, percent And then for the second round of quali- the second round in Q3. Um, there was a whole load of gravel on the track. So no one improved. I can't remember which corner it was, but it was right on the racing line. So no one was ever going to improve. Yeah, well, it's interesting about that scruffy lap. He had a real problem coming out of Q2 uh, under the yellow flags. Under the yellow flags, he had uh, not been able to properly recharge his batteries on his in-lap at the end of Q2. You know how they send them out just in case or just to get a feel on the soft tires. He hadn't been able to properly recharge his battery. So they put him out first thing into Q3. And as a result, he was on the one hand trying to warm the tires, but at the same time trying to go slow enough to recharge the battery pack. And the only run that anyone did well on was that first run. And it was inherently compromised from the beginning. It seemed like a really messy session anyway. There was lots of traffic all over the circuit for everybody. Everyone was fighting against somebody. I think um, I, can't, I think well, it must have been must have been Q one because Stroll was out in Q one, um, where uh, Max Verstappen comes across across Stroll into the chicane. Stroll dives as far out the way as he possibly could. Um, Max gets his lap in, and then um, when Max is coming past the line, he's told to get out of Stroll's way, and he. Um, tells Stroll to henceforth and multiply because he apparently ruined his lap, um, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. But yeah, there was loads of that going on. But the battery thing, I'm asking a question here because the battery thing surprised me. I thought they can recharge the batteries in the pits. They haven't actually got to go out and do that. So that confused me on that situation. Okay, well, that wasn't my understanding, but certainly something worth asking Summers about if someone can fire off a text to him now. Do you have an answer for us, Matt? Yeah, you cannot recharge batteries in the pits. During an, during an open session. Okay, but even when Hamilton was giving that 
that a reason. It was it was a very half-hearted excuse because I think he knew deep down that that wasn't the reason. Maybe that was a reason why he didn't have as good a shot as he might have hoped for. But he was really scruffy in Q3, and I, I caught the bit where he was you know going over the curbs too hard and getting sideways. I think Jeansy, once you get sideways in an F1 car on a qualifying lap, you're losing tenths hand over fist. And that wasn't the only scruffy thing he did that lap. So this is nothing other... Oh, sorry. This is nothing... I just pulled the jeansy. Yes! Yes! <laughs> I just hit the mic yes, in a very jeansy-esque way. This is not to take anything away from Bottas, but Hamilton blew it. Um, I'm just coming down from Spanners taking my limelight of smashing <laughs> the equipment. But yeah, so... Um, you weren't uh, listening, were you? Right. No, I'm gone now. Ham- Hamilton... Th- threw away any chance he had at beating a very good Bottas lap. Yes. So, yeah, because he went off, he went, uh, he was very wide through turn five, six chicane. No, seven, eight chicane uh, before going into the fast turn nine. He was wide coming out of turn 10. um, And then he uh, was wide and all over the curb going into the right hander just before the final chicane. It was as messy as hell. So, even if he had all the power in the world, he wouldn't have been anywhere near Bottas. He was lucky to get second with that scruffy lap. Sarah? So one of the things I think when we're talking about Bottas 2.0 and all of that is that he's doing what Mercedes do best, which is when other people are dropping the ball, they pick it up and they're in place, ready to go, even if they're maybe not the favourites in the moment. And I think Bottas is fully entrenched in the team now because of his this habit, this... Um, he he is the the one picking it up it when when Lewis is dropping it. So, and and that's dangerous territory, isn't it for for Hamilton? Because if Ferrari are dropping back, then essentially every race is not a battle for twenty five points, as we saw with Rosberg in twenty sixteen. Every race is a battle for seven points, or or now is a battle for an eight or six point lead. So if anything does go wrong, he's got you know a big margin to catch up, uh, Jeansy. See, I think that um, what we're going to have this year, I think, I think Lewis, I, I still think Lewis will win this championship if it's completely clean and down the line. I think if he does lose this championship, I think it'll be down to fastest lap points that costs him. All right, Trump, it's something about tyres, pressures. Yeah, um, in a move that may have not hurt Mercedes, uh, Pirelli overnight dropped the rear pressures from 21.5 to 19.5 PSI. And the Mercedes generally do work better with the lower pressures in the tires. They would certainly have done that um, based on all of the data they gathered and not simply as a favor to Mercedes, but it might have also been something that didn't hurt them at all, at least relative to their competitors. And so that um, and that may have played into a certain extent how FP3 and qualifying went, because that would be a change the engineers would have had to deal with even at Mercedes. And it, and it might have helped uh, Botas out in his efforts during qualifying as well. Awesome. Well, Matt, um, the chat room's asking, and I am quite interested as well. How did you find watching the race on this occasion? Because F- F- F1 TV Pro was terrible for you last week in Baku or last two weeks ago. It was better this time. I did not have the same issues as I did uh, with the broadcast from Baku, which was good. Um, yeah, so so okay, that would good. be it. it. It kind of worked as one would expect. It's not perfect, but it, it was pretty good this time around. And I had to uh, I had to try and watch it on three different uh, streaming methods 
two of which I'd be willing to talk about, just to try and get a good picture, actually. I, I struggled internetting the race this time around. Yeah, it, it can be difficult. I need to correct. I said 21 and a half. It was 20 and a half originally, thanks to Othniel in the chat room for paying attention to my words, even when I don't. Oh, was that the PSI? Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank Whew. <laughs> We would have had egg on our faces. We would have had... Because everybody knows that. We would have had an email, maybe. All right, mate. Uh, look, uh, Stroll, again, doesn't get out of Q1 with a car that is capable of getting out of Q1. Have I won this argument with you yet, Matt? Um, he was two tenths off Perez, if you'd like to know. Okay, so okay, so just, just, to, cl- just to clarify, which session was Perez in? Um, Perez made it to Q2, oh, right, where he okay. finished last, I think. <laughs> okay, and Stroll was just above him in Q2, no? All right. Um, no, no, no. He finished two tenths off in Q1, therefore did not advance. Roger but that. I, I would say, though, because you put me in the position of having to do this every week, <laughs> that being two tenths off of your teammate and qualifying is in the realm of acceptable barely in Formula One. I mean, obviously, it's not Haas where they were 100th apart and best of the rest, but... It's not as embarrassing as, like, you know, Stoffel being eight-tenths off of Fernando, as we saw last year. True. Jeansy? It's okay. At least he went on to have a phenomenal race. <laughs> he was pivotal in the race. Are you kidding me? I, I may or may not still have the sound effects from the quiz with Sean Kelly on. Do let us know how you got on with the quiz. You can tweet me at SpannersReady, the show at MissedApexF1, or you can always email me SpannersReady at gmail.com. I've been told by many people that how much I sucked at the quiz. I'm like, you don't need to tell me. I know. I was there. It was really hard. I was like begging Sean, next time, dude, you've got to think of our reputations. We all look terrible. All right, look, let's move on to the race. And this is where we call upon Matt Trumpets to tell us where this race was won and lost. Right, Owen. So I think there were three critical points in the race. The first, and almost always the place we start, is the start. And the start was critical because it determined who won. Uh, The second has to be the safety car restart. Not so much for its effect when it happened, but for the pit sequencing that happened right before it. And last, I have to say, the flat spot that Vettel got at the start had a huge run-on effect on Ferrari for the entire rest of the race, for the entire rest of the race. I don't believe they would have beaten either Mercedes, but it definitely changed their ability to compete with the Red Bulls. Well, let's uh, let's start at the beginning then, Sarah. Not the best start for Bottas. Uh, we'll get onto the the clutch issue in, in a moment. However, it was interesting that Hamilton said, "All right, look, I'm never softballing in turn one again. This is fully game on." Yeah, I think. And another point that happened during that the whole his whole first stint was that apparently he wasn't talking at all. So it was he did the whole thing without a word, whereas Bottas was asking for updates fairly regularly. Um, a lot of interesting uh, talk about radio. We didn't hear much of the interesting radio, but a lot of interesting talk about it. I think it's going to be a spoiler that my Miss Apex slash Pony Award was going to go to Hamilton because because of the radio. Because we heard from whoever the pit correspondent was. I think it was Paul Dresser 
this week who was at race control for Sky TV was saying, yeah, no, Hamilton's not saying anything. He's not saying anything. He's fully focused. And then at some point before the first pit stop, he's like, dude, I need information. Why aren't you guys talking to me? It's like, all right, we haven't heard anything from you at all. And now, <laughs> and now you're yelling at us. You're mean. This is what bullies do. Uh, but yeah, very, very interesting. But um, Matt, the fact is Hamilton did kind of play a bit of a team game. Do you remember when we were talking about Rosberg and Hamilton coming together in various points and you'd made the great point? Yeah, but the fact is they're teammates. Yes, that incident might be a racing incident, but they're teammates. And Hamilton was quite teamy in that he didn't push ultra hard through the first three turns and Bottas was very, very good and, and very good in his defence. This wasn't going to happen this time ever, was it? They were so close to disaster through turn one because you had Vettel closing in you had Botas in the middle of the pincer and as Hamilton came around I, I I don't think you could put five millimeters in between his rear wheel and Botas front wing through that turn it was like terrifying to watch I, I can't even imagine what Wolf was thinking at that point Jeansy do you think that if Baku had not happened, if the big kind of challenge for Mbottas hadn't been set, especially with the qualifying, do you think perhaps Lewis might have tightened up a little bit on that corner, left a little bit more room? Because he was fully heading just for the turn to apex, which is the turn one exit, and wasn't all that concerned at all that Bottas had a Ferrari on his left. He was much more alongside though today. Um, and the thing is, was it was always going to end up worse for Bottas than it would have done for Lewis because Vettel was around the outside and he knew there was a Ferrari there. He didn't know which one, but he knew there was a Ferrari there. So he's he's gone in there. He knows Bottas has got to go wide. If Bottas is going to go into the red car, so be it. And I got to say props to Bottas for recognizing that and getting out of it before all three cars were out of the race. Bottas was very, very lucky. Or I say no. Bottas was very, very skilled to not drop it in, in in the first corner as well because he got a full swapper on. You know, if that was a number five red car, it would be going around in circles. I mean, controversial, but yeah, all right. Controversial, but probably quite accurate. And this is the battle off the track entirely, but did you see the still picture that they put up after the race of Bottas with his arms completely 180'd? At the moment that the tires lit up and the rear end just decided to go any way it wanted to. Yeah, and you would have thought, and I think you're absolutely right, that the car was just done for at that. There was no way he was going to be able to recover it, yet somehow he managed. He was probably in that position where people have been in before, where you're in before, where you've gone full opposite lock and you're like, I'm going to spin. And then all of a sudden you're straight again. You're like... How did that happen? Okay, I've got a panic on what's going on next. Um, he he would have just instinctively reacted to that, put full opposite lock on, um, and all of a sudden he's not facing the wrong way and is still in second place. And have been like, Phew, okay, I can wipe the brown out of my trousers and keep going. But I am torn because initially I thought, oh, this is actually the first slip we've seen from Bottas. But actually, this is an example of, of Bottas actually being fairly in control and he has been in control all season, of himself at least. I can't actually think of any mistakes yeah, no, Bottas has made this That's season. what I was thinking. So when I saw him kind of have that tank slapper, I was like, mm. well, that's actually the first sniff. But that's not mistakes. that's not an error, though. Yeah. So, I mean, Erudite just made a comment and said, said come on, guys, he gave, they, they all gave enough room. Yeah, they gave all, oh, they all gave just enough room. Um, there was perfect racing room there. And, you know, we're talking cigarette paper, but it was still enough room. Um, so for Bottas to not hit somebody, 
not drop it and keep that facing the same way. That wasn't an error. That was just skill of a driver managing to keep it on the track because that could have been a lot of his championship up in smoke. Sarah, optimistic of Sebastian Vettel to think he could go around the outside of two cars and there would somehow be still room when they got to the apex of turn two. Very optimistic. But at this point, he's got to show that he's got the chops with um, Leclerc sort of following following in his footsteps, following very close behind, um, them having to swap places all the time. He kind of had to do something. And a lot of the commentators were talking about him going down the right and following Hamilton instead, but I don't think that would have ended up any better. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that's exactly where I wanted to go. It's I can't imagine second guessing someone in that tiny amount of time that he would have had to make that choice. And it was obvious because Botas moved over that that lane opened up for him and he clearly had superior speed, I think, to either Mercedes. Had it worked out for him, he would have hung around the outside. Botas would have backed out and then it would have been him versus Hamilton through the next two turns. But he locked up the, the inside wheel into the turn and then that was literally race over for him. To be fair, coming from P3 on the grid, Vettel didn't really have much, didn't really have much of a choice. Um, didn't really have much of a choice but to go left. Um, Leclerc could have gone right, but as I think we're going to allude to in a minute, both Max and Leclerc were very intelligent through turn one. Uh, yeah, Sarah, uh, tell us about um, Max's more cautious approach uh, alongside Leclerc because he he probably knew a little bit about the 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 Red Bull car that we didn't, which is it was pretty quick. It was pretty outstanding, in fact, all all, all race long. I think I he t- whether he'd taken on board all the criticism he was getting last year and just stayed back, or what exactly was going on, but much more mature beginning to the race, uh, but also being able to keep Leclerc in, you know, kind of keeping everyone around him honest. I think that's what he was, that that's what he was doing. And what was interesting about that, not just keeping him honest, but being smart enough to back out as the disaster had unfolded, because what wound up happening was that when Vettel rejoined the track, he cut very far across and caused Leclerc to check up. And that opened the outside lane with free air for Verstappen to just go around both Ferraris in basically one go. So it was a tremendous moment in terms of how the race turned out for him to have had, all right, I'm going to say it, the maturity to make that choice in that moment. Um, I mean, it was a maturity thing. It was a maturity thing for Max. Um, but. Um, I think what your your race's instinct, what it tells you to do is when you see three people going into one corner, you back off because you're like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Is every likely that all three of them can wipe each other out and all of a sudden I inherit a lead. So him backing off was the right thing to do because what it does, it gives him the ability to cut in tighter and get a better line on the exit of, Q3, on the exit of turn three. See, I know exactly what's going to happen when you see three wide into a turn. Alex is going to punt someone off a cart track. I didn't punt anybody off. 
People okay. got in my way, but I didn't punt anyone off. Okay, I literally have video evidence that that's not the case. You hit a lot of people. You might call them <laughs> racing incidents, but both you and Kyle hit a lot of people. So <laughs> to be fair, I, to be fair, I was trying to push David Hatton round turn one um, because he just wasn't going fast enough, and Kyle was getting closer. <laughs> I've had this conversation with David Hatton. Poor David Hatton <laughs> on the video. If you look at the mistake video, you did just nudge him forward to put him offline and then sweep around the inside. That's not what we're talking about today. They can see it for themselves on the Missed Apex video. Uh, no, uh, you've completely thrown me, you guys. Um, but we're still in turn one. We're still in turn one, aren't we? So uh, Vettel locks up and that ruins his t- that set of tyres. But what we really have now is we have two battles emerging. We have Verstappen in third place, splitting up the battle of the two Mercedes, which we now believe is the battle for the championship. And then you've got the two Ferraris doing their own thing out of the back but firstly uh, let's go out to the front because um last week last week last race in Baku you said to me that actually Hamilton wasn't faster didn't have more pace it was Bottas was just cleverly managing that 0.00 whatever it was gap interesting then that Lewis Hamilton took a slightly different approach this time Matt and instead of a tiny minuscule gap that, that like Bottas was comfortably managing in Baku, he sort of boldly went all the way out to an 11 second gap and then a five second gap after the restart. So help me out. Are we comparing the beginning of this race to the end of the last race or are we comparing beginning to beginning? Because I think if we were beginning, beginning, I think Bottas had a bit more of a gap. Not 11 seconds, but okay, granted. Yes, well, I think you know how one manages one's gap is one's preference, whether one is faster or not. The difficulty comes in proving it if you don't pass someone on track. And that is where you and I differ in terms of the last race. I don't think it's possible to know Hamilton was ultimately faster because he didn't actually get round Botas. Here, the same could be said, and you would be absolutely correct. There's no way to know that Botas was faster. In fact, he probably wasn't because he didn't get round Hamilton. He had his two, two, three push laps at the beginning. He was close, and then the gap went out, and then the gap just stayed there, and it seemed more of a management game for the Mercedes people uh, up until we get to the safety car. If Botas had stuck at sort of four to five seconds behind Lewis and matched his lap times, I'd say, yeah, he managed that gap because that's the kind of gap you need to not kill your tires and look after your car at Spain and be in striking distance for if the person in front makes a mistake. No one no one is managing their gap at 11 seconds behind somebody. Um, not a chance. Trumpets has no further defence. So yes, we're correct. And Hamilton did have the pace in Baku. Sorry, I zoned out for a little bit, but did we accept that I was right two weeks ago? Was that the general gist of it, Matt? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's completely what we did. Yeah. Okay. But we are seeing Lewis Hamilton in typical form. So if we were looking at this last season, this is the sort of performance over Bottas that we would expect that even if he was behind, he would somehow get ahead and then be comfortably up front. After qualifying, I had quite a few people get in touch with me over various sources. And I love that. Thank you very much. But the general tone was, ha ha, Spanners, smiter of Bottas, what say you now? <laughs> and a lot of very kind of attacking comments. Can I be clear? I don't think I've done Bottas down, particularly over the last couple of years when I've been talking about it. I think my only criticism of Bottas is that he's not as fast, ultimately, as his five-time 
World Driver Championship teammate. I think he, for the record, I think he's a very good driver. I think he's very robust wheel-to-wheel. We often compliment his racing, Jeansy. When he gets wheel-to-wheel, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's just not quite as fast as Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, and, you know, it's that whole thing of Lewis has this uncanny... um has his reputation for making drivers look average, even if they're not, you know, and the ones that are, like Kovalainen, he destroys their career, you know, Fernando Alonso, destroyed Fernando Alonso's career. Um, God, I'm going to get stick for that. Um, we don't have Spanish but, listeners, it's okay. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so Bottas is a fine, fine racing driver. He's better than Seb. Um, he's probably on a par with Leclerc at the moment. Um, Leclerc will usurp him, but I don't know how much more Bottas has got to give. I think Leclerc and Max have so much further to go with their ability. Part of me feels that Bottas is at his maximum and you might get a little bit more out of him, but it's not like he's got another three or four levels to find like I feel Max and Leclerc do. All right, well, let's um, let's finish off with uh, how the race was won and lost, Matt, because just when you think the race was over, a couple of key things happen. Firstly, a few of the cars in the top six start positioning as if they're going to do an out-and-out two-stop. And then, of course, we do get the safety car eventually. Explain to me what the the teams were thinking with the two-stop, because it looked like it was going to be a comfortable one-stop. Well, the two-stop had already come up as the fastest strategy by Pirelli. Not by a lot. But by, you know, but by a little, which meant that all the teams would probably want to do a one stop. But then you had Vettel with the flat spotted front tire, which led to the whole Ferrari. Who's going to let who buy drama that dragged on endlessly, which is great for TV shows and angst, but not so good when you're actually racing a car on a track. But him going to the two stop meant that he was now a bit of a joker in terms of how it affected the other's race strategy. And... As it transpired, when we got to the safety car, he was approaching Verstappen, who was wedged in between him and Leclerc, who had been stopped later and was looking to one stop. And you were beginning to think there was going to be a rock and a hard place with Verstappen in between, and there might be some excitement there. And then that's when we had the safety car, thanks to Stroll and Norris going off to play in the wall by themselves. All right. Well, we will definitely cover that in Whose Fault Is This? Don't worry. Uh, for people who are new to Missed Apex Podcast, we have a section where we assign blame. You'll often hear the commentary going, well, I'll put that down to a racing incident. That's where everybody in the Missed Apex crew screams, no, we must assign blame. And assign blame, we will. But not before we talk about Ferrari. Now, we've put to bed the theory that Nick Numbers Alexander being on this podcast causes Ferrari failures, although he has just messaged to protest that he is convinced that Ferrari would have done even worse had he appeared on the panel. But let's talk a little bit about those um, Ferrari tactics, Sarah, because we just don't know what's in the Ferrari management head, in their heads. And this has been a classic situation that we faced all season long, and you can't deny it's cost them time. Their blushes are only being spared in that they're not in that top fight. But really, I mean, they could have been ahead of Red Bull today if they'd not been scrapping amongst themselves. Well, one of the big things that seems to be coming out of this is their intra-team communication uh, seems to have fallen apart completely and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, In terms of 
how to tell what the, the you know the other side of the garage is doing in terms of the two different engineering teams the waiting so many laps to make a decision about any of these choices is just it doing nothing is not a strategy um and they just need it to be making these calls faster jeansy what say you ferrari ah trumpet sorry i got you mixed up you both look exactly the same <laughs> you're both insulted uh, that was perfect <laughs> uh, right so the thing uh, interesting side note uh I watched back because of the Grosjean Magnuson incident, several laps of Grosjean around the safety car. And I could not understand a single thing he said on the radio. And and while I was browsing Twitter, uh, someone had gone back and watched the early onboards uh, from Leclerc. And apparently his engineers couldn't understand anything he was saying either to the point where they were like, I'm sorry. I can't understand that because it does seem the engineers have a special ability to understand something that's just like, you know, or copy that. And you're like, what? <laughs> but no, in fact, they, even the engineers were like, nah, sorry, 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 mate. We're totally baffled there. Could you please repeat this? So there may have been some other radio issues. And I don't know, was there also just a lack of audio of team radio in general in the broadcast? Maybe there were some other radio problems making it worse. Yeah, there there is a, there is a lot less uh, than there was last year. Um, I think there's because it has such a big effect on the drivers' uh, PR over the past few years. I reckon they're dialing down on it a lot because everyone's just getting slated for being a bit whiny when they're doing perfectly normal th- requests to their racing engineers. <laughs> To be fair, was it was it Steiner that said on the radio, "Stop whinging and just race." Uh, when Grosjean complained continually about being pushed off, oh my, oh my! But that was a moment, I will say. Well, well let, let's look at the drivers who've come off worse in this sort of era of uh, of more radio comms. I know Alonso really felt like there was a picture being painted of him being like aggressive and emotional on the on the radio. But you know, you'd have to say to Fernando, they didn't insert anything. You know, they didn't add any fake Alonso. That was that was all you, dude. Um, Hamilton, if you just pick out, I guess, you know, some of his more passive-aggressive comments, and if you cherry-pick those, he comes across like a very... Like, he could have fit into Ricky Gervais's The Office quite easily. So, guys, uh, can't help but notice that I'm second when I was previously first. Want to explain... If you want, do you want to explain it? A really passive aggressive. Uh, and yeah, and Grosjean just has openly said, these radio calls make me seem or reveal how whingy I am. And we, we have pretty good insights, inside information that that is a fair reflection of Grosjean, don't we, Matt? Yeah, we do. And, and it is a fair, but uh, as fun as it is, uh, you just got to feel for someone who's strapped into a car moving that fast, trying to push all those buttons and do all those things. And having to deal with what amounts to like mom and dad complaining over your shoulder constantly about everything you do. Sarah. <laughs> sort of coming back to the uh, Ferrari strategy part of that, though, I don't. Yes, there was an element about the team, the uh, the comms with the drivers. But I think it's just in between the teams because it sounded like they didn't know what strategy their uh, their drivers were supposed to be on. Well, you had. Um, one engineer telling one of the drivers that they're on the same strategy, one of the drivers telling them they're on a different 
different strategy and they let them pass. They were completely disagreeing with each other. So it's like, because you normally see the engineer either side of um, Toto normally on the pit wall, and then the, the instructions come from Toto to the rest of the team. I, I don't get it. Ferrari are an absolute joke at the moment. Yeah, and we have slated Mercedes in the past for not having separate strategists to optimize each driver. But the flip side of that is that when coordination is needed for team purposes, you do not have the same sort of goat rodeo happening uh, between the different engineers and size of the garage. We're all going to just pretend that goat rodeo is a perfectly valid thing to start. We're just going to brush right on past that. So uh, at this goat rodeo, Matt, what, what we saw up front was Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas quite likely both being told to manage their tyres together. They were probably both being given information. I heard Bottas being told the first stint the tyres were on the limit. So like you really use those tyres up. We heard Lewis Hamilton saying, oh, a little bit dodgy, a little bit ropey getting these tyres to the end. We saw big delamination on the rear right of Lewis Hamilton's. So if you had separate strategists in that situation and you were Bottas, you were Team Bottas, you'd be doing everything to try and get Hamilton to pit. So you'd be you'd be going on about how you were really struggling. You know, you'd throw curveballs out there. You're going, yeah, I'm really, my tyres are, are dead. I'm, I'm going to come in any minute. And then as soon as Hamilton pitted, you would go on your merry way. And that's and that would have risked putting Hamilton, you know, in the clutches of, of Red Bull or Ferrari if they'd have been closer. But that's the kind of chaos you get if you have different strategists. So what's going on at Ferrari? Do they have two different guys talking to the drivers? Yeah, I think they do in the sense that they look to optimize uh, the results for the drivers. And they don't assume a great deal of coordination is necessary. And in this case, it just it costs them probably two seconds plus for Vettel in his flat spot in the beginning. And again, at the end, when Vettel had caught up to Leclerc and had the faster tire, again, it cost him time before they, they let him through. Of course, it was irrelevant because the safety car came out and collapsed everything, but it reduced his ability to chase down Verstappen before that happened. All right, we'll get back to uh, the Ferrari team orders and politics situation. But I'm wondering if anyone thinks that Hamilton was a little bit saved by that safety car, Gene Z, because that gap was starting to creep down. And I don't know what state Bottas's tyres were in, but Hamilton looked to be in a little bit of trouble. It had come down from like 11. It had sat at eight when he came on and was going, hey, guys, tell me what lap times he's doing behind. And then it was creeping down, you know, into a seven point gap. It is possible that if if he was delaminating that quickly, mate, he could have uh, he could have been in some trouble. Um, I think that they were planning a second stop for um for Lewis for both Mercedes anyway. Um, so I don't think that would have been too much of a problem. Lewis always at this stage in a race, when you're sort of two thirds into a race, Lewis always starts to back off a little bit, um, and and lets the gap come down a little bit or. Takes it off the throttle, turns the engine down and goes into engine reserve mode and then would have probably been rather miffed that the safety car came out to be like, oh God, I've got to get back on it again, especially because of how slow that safety car went. Oh, hang on. I'm getting a bit confused, Matt. Did did Bottas pit before the safety car? Yeah, the the timing of it was he pitted the lap before the safety car. Ah, right. And, yeah. then, and then as Lewis was going around, that's when the safety car was out. So he was able to actually pit under the safety car. But it was that decision had been made prior uh, to okay, okay. the car coming out. 
Right, let's um let's get back to Ferrari after a word from our sponsors. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Back to Ferrari. Who should they be backing at the moment? Sarah, who would you be backing if you were... The, the new Ferrari management. They've got a bit of a conundrum. Basically, if Vettel has anything but an optimal race pace and strategy, Leclerc is right there. They seem to be reasonably well matched. They're seesawing around each other. I mean, what what do you do? For, for me, you've still got to respect the fact that one of them is a four-time world champion and one of them is in his second season, presumably uh, with a much lower paycheck. Uh, I think if you're Ferrari management, you need to be thinking about the future. And Seb's now one of the oldest drivers on the track. Uh, yes, he's the most experienced, but he's also spent the most time doing uh, unintended spins uh, compared to... I know, I know Leclerc's made some some errors and some mistakes, but he's the one they need to invest in for the future. And- yeah, so to me, it's not a question of who do Ferrari ultimately back. If, you, if, it's, if it's push... Then Vettel is the person you back. He's got the experience and he's got the knowledge and he has the pedigree of having won a championship. You can say Leclerc is the future. Leclerc also drove into a wall in Baku. He's young. He makes mistakes. I'm sorry. Where Ferrari are falling down, I think strategy-wise, is when the choices are obvious. Vettel is slow. Leclerc is fast due to reasons. They dither making that choice and getting Leclerc in front. And when Vettel says, as a four-time world champion, you must get me off this tire immediately. I'm losing hunks of time. And then they wait four more laps to do it. Then there's just the decision chain is taking too long to run through its process, given the speed at which the race happens. Nick Alexander in the chat room obviously can't win comment of the week, but has just said, Sarah says Ferrari needs to think about the future. Oh, you must be new here. Must say that Nick is a Ferrari fan. Uh, (laughs) But Jeansy, what did you make of it? Um, 
to be fair, we can forget individual race strategies for the minute for the past five races. They made their biggest faux pas when they said before the season even started that they're going to back Seb. Just let the guys race. That's what Mercedes have done since they since the hybrid era era, and we've seen some of the best intra team rivalries we've seen with a team that can still dominate. So as long as they don't hit each other, they can still fight. Oh, hang on, um, sorry, I've got um, a bit of a phone call for you. Oh, it's uh, it's Sochi twenty eighteen on the phone for you, Jeansy. Do you want to answer it? <laughs> but it's that whole case of you know they they need to stop saying oh we're going to back set because he's the only. they've they've got they've given themselves a fright because they've employed a young driver and they don't do that it's i mean i can't remember the the gap but it's been decades since they've had a young driver such an inexperienced driver in that second seat and i think they've scared themselves into the fact that oh god we've got this guy sebastian vettel who's a four-time world champion we might upset him by putting another young rookie up against him do you know what i i know a family that got in a a very young attractive swedish au pair full-time living in their house what did they think was going to happen? It's like you've brought Leclerc in, who you think is an incredibly fast young driver. Did you think he was just going to sit there behind Vettel? Did you seriously think that he was going to be so off the pace and that Vettel is so good that you weren't going to have this problem this year? Which, like you said, Jeansy, it makes it a bizarre choice that they came right out, closed their options off and said, Vettel's our number one driver. They're going to do one of two things. Completely destroy their season, and five races in, it looks like they're doing that, or completely destroy Charles Leclerc um, to the point where he'll either just drop off the face of the planet, lose his confidence and, and not be very good, or be the fighter that I actually think he is, drop his Ferrari contract and probably go to any other team because Red Bull would have him, Mercedes maybe have him, but you know, he's got that ability where he could go anywhere. And Ferrari've got to be careful. Just let the guys race. I mean, they we talk about strategy. Red Bull went really aggressive on their strategy today. To go soft, soft, medium um, is what is what Red, is what Ferrari yeah. should have done in the last couple of races. They've had the exactly with with Leclerc in Baku. They should have put him on a on an aggressive strategy from the very start and forced the pit stops. But Ferrari just don't do that. There's like there's too long a chain of command before the actual decision gets made. Okay, so Marcio uh, says they didn't say Vettel is our number one driver spanners. Okay, I think the wording was we have our number one and number two drivers sorted and everyone has inferred that that is Vettel. I think you'd be hard pushed to imply anything else that they were actually going, haha, but secretly we've decided Leclerc is our new number one. I don't think that's the case. Right, we're going to go to Red Bull and their aggressive strategies and them being in the mix. But first, we have to play a game. Whose fault is it? Oh, that was... Such a smooth segue, as smooth as Harry's razors on my skin, harrys.com forward slash apex. So the only whose fault is this this of note is between Stroll and Norris. Uh, There is a a, a Haas one as well, but let's start with Stroll versus Norris. Jamesy, let's let's let you have first crack. They called it a racing incident (laughs) on the telly. I was yelling. I, I was like, oh, Phil Potts going to be feeling feeling the, the force on this one. As as my, um, my, my phrase that I coined that you stole, he violated the lane system all over his face. Yeah. So- um, he, he, Norris was around the outside and Stroll just turned like he wasn't there. Well, it, it was funny. I knew it was Stroll's fault 
when I just saw them in the wall and I hadn't actually seen the incident. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I get a lot of abuse for for being hard on Stroll, but in my defence, that is because he's done quite a lot of mediocre slash terrible things, and that has continued this weekend. Uh, however, Matt, you've said to me in the past, look, if there's a car there, you can't turn because there's a car there. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could make a case. And actually, I think I did in my report that, there, that it was basically heaping him out of stupid and there was plenty to go around for both parties. But at the end of the day, Norris kept his nose in for no real reason whatsoever. Oh, Jeans is going to have words. And, and Stroll thoughtlessly decided that he wasn't going to be there in any event and just chopped right into him on the apex. So, you know. As we have seen over the years, you can go two cars wide through that corner. Um, so Norris had all the right to keep his nose in there because the thing is, is even if Stroll had given him the room, he could have hung him out to dry through turn three. But he, it was it was negligence as far as I'm concerned from Stroll's point of view. He's like, oh, Norris isn't going to hang. You know, this young kid in a faster car coming around the outside of me, he's not going to keep his nose in. Come on. Do you remember that time in iRacing, Jeansy? Yeah? Where you're like, oh, come on. He's not going to try and take up the racing line on me after he beat me through the corner at Lime Rock and he was faster than me in the race anyway. And then you wound up in the wall? Spanners isn't a Formula One driver who's had three seasons in Formula One? Come on. Um, Now that... So people are kind of mixed in the chat room, actually, and and saying, you know, well, does, does Norris have a right to keep his nose in what is the point where you say i have to back out i as far as i understand it there is no point you have to back out if you're if you're there and i think he he didn't just suddenly appear there he was he was alongside sarah wasn't he he was alongside going into turn one and he was still alongside into turn two it's not like he'd just beat him on the brakes and got in i mean so stroll he's aware that he's been there and he's just turned in hasn't he he should be aware. However, the only thing I would say is in the two, ta- two, three times that Grosjean was trying to overtake the same spots, he left the track at ex- sort of almost around the exact point where those two came together. So, is that just not like should? Is it a bit like um, Ocon and Verstappen, where actually Verstappen should have backed off a little bit and not gone for got not gone for one of those uh, spaces because then he wouldn't have uh, had the instant and he would have carried on. Uh, is this just inexperience on Norris's part as much as I do want to say it's Stroll's fault because it kind of is. So I will put a real question to you there, Jeansy, if I may. Like, when I look at where Norris was relative to Stroll, I didn't see much chance for him to be able to get round that particular lap. And that being the case, why leave your nose there where somebody can hit it. That's that's what occurs to me when I see that incident. Now, if you're asking me to assign blame, that's a different question. But this is the real question. You've had more racing experience than me. At what point do you say, look, it's not really on. Why am I here? Isn't it better to to set up for the next corner? You're asking the wrong person. Jeans is never pulled out of an overtake, I don't think. Okay, sorry. <laughs> never mind, never mind. Uh, yeah, go on. Um, so... Spain is so hard to overtake round. So if he's got a sniff of a chance of getting round someone, especially like Stroll, you are going to take it. Because if he didn't make it stick that lap, 
he might have been stuck there for the rest of the race. And I, I don't know where they were when they had the incident. I don't know if points were in were in the offing, but um, he was round the outside, and that is one of those corners where you can go round. Okay, outside. well, Jeansy, um, Vegnesh in the chat room says Stroll had the racing line. If if are you, do you just if you're the car on the outside, do you have the right to just take the racing line? That's I don't know. I'm genuinely asking. <sighs> Um, sorry. <laughs> this goes back to iRacing. No, I, this is not a loaded question. Why must you think? Not at all, Spanners. That all, I remember everything. When you're actually racing, wheel to wheel, the racing line, who's on the racing line is almost irrelevant because if somebody is taking up space where your racing line is going to be, you can't just pull across them. If we take the lane system, um, they had to stick to their lanes. Norris was in a lane and his, and his nose was well up the inside of um stroll's rear wheels stroll cannot come across that's just the way it is forget forget racing lines it's not important the counter argument though is matt isn't it is that norris didn't finish the race and grosjean did because grosjean kept taking that escape route yeah absolutely and and personally if you're going to ask me to blame somebody i'm going to blame vj malia (laughs) go on for being a criminal and losing the team because if he was still in charge ocon would have been driving and this never, ever would have happened. Sorry, but there it is. Oh, my God. All the allegedlies. Every Alleged a- criminal. Guys, yes. can you send in your allegedlies to spannersready at gmail.com? Because I think I'm going to need everyone. So if we could just pull all our allegedlies together, that would be fantastic. All right. Uh, let's move on to Red Bull. Uh, Red Bull looking strong. Red Bull turned up here, Matt, with a B-spec car. Um would you like to accuse them of any crimes or just go straight to perhaps, you know, discussing the effect that B-Spec had? Oh, and by the way, breaking news, Gasly didn't have the same upgrades that Verstappen had this week. Actually, I would, because I think there's a very interesting tale. A Twitter user called Ari, A-U-R-Y, D-B-9, put together this chart of the slow speeds and turns in Barcelona. And you may be thinking, why is that interesting? Well, I'm about to tell you why. If we look at turn five, we see that Vettel's slow speed in that turn was 108 and Verstappen's was 113 compared to Botas at 116. If we move down a little bit, we see that in turn 15, Vettel's speed was 99, Verstappen's was 104, and Botas was 100. And there was, was there one more? Yes, here we go. Turn seven, Vettel 162, Verstappen 172, Botas 174. So if we're going to talk about how chassis is performing at circuit, it looks like Red Bull's chassis upgrade is doing the business because they are actually now closer to Mercedes in these slow speed turns than Ferrari is. Good. And I, I understand the implications of all of that. So I definitely wasn't consulting the legal team uh, for advice. But certainly, uh, Sarah, if we've got Red Bull healthily in the mix, I think this kind of spells the end for Ferrari's title challenge. Because I think Ferrari, instead of looking forward, will be turning backwards to defend from Red Bull. And now they find themselves in races where they're covering off against Red Bull instead of challenging Mercedes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Gasly's starting to find his feet a bit more. I mean, he's not coming out there with the the Verstappen levels of performance, obviously, but he was showing a lot more punchy moves, especially after the safety car. He put a few moves on Vettel, didn't ultimately come off, but 
that puts them but puts the two drivers in a very strong position compared to the start of the season so i think it's going to be i i think red bull are going to be aiming for second in the championship this year can you explain to me though how come verstappen covered off vettel i was quite surprised so vettel's obviously flat spotted his tires and then verstappen comes in it just didn't feel like they were under any threat from ferrari or from vettel particularly uh, matt then yeah because again red bull understood who they were racing they were racing ferrari ferrari didn't apparently understand who they were racing they were racing red bull but specifically verstappen and I think this led to, is again, this is like they're just pointed at the wrong target. They were never going to catch Mercedes in this race. And they knew it. They should have known it. And they should have been watching Verstappen and thinking about how their strategy impacted their race with Verstappen and not given any concern to the Mercedes after about the first lap when Vettel failed to get in between them. I totally called it, Gene Z, on, on the Twitters. I said, cheeky punt on Verstappen to get a podium. Because I they... They do look good. And like you say, they are not scared to go for an aggressive strategy. So when they bolted on a tyre that meant, no, no, we, we have to pit again. They just were signalling to the world, right? We are, we are messing with you now. <laughs> we are a factor. We're going for it. It's up to you whether you respond or not. Yeah, they, they called, they called, the, uh, they called their card really early, which was, which was fantastic to hear and fantastic to see. Um, and, Max is the type of driver that will pull that kind of strategy off. And Matt's right in what he says, where he says Red Bull knew they were racing Ferrari. I don't think Ferrari knew who they were racing at all, whether they were racing Stroll or each other or, or, or Arriva Bene, who's not even there anymore. I, you know, it was, yeah. There's a there's a famous phrase that I said before we went live from a um from Days of Thunder about um a monkey doing something with a football, um which is exactly what it seems like Ferrari are doing. Yeah, goat rodeo, in it, Matt. Am I right? Goat rodeo. Yeah, total goat rodeo. That's what, that's what it's all about. Any other business? Formula B won by Kevin Magnussen in the Haas, Matt. Uh, a really punchy performance from him. I feel like Grosjean kind of had the measure of him pace wise but magnuson's like nope out of my way and grosjean's all like oh man i nearly made contact so i'll leave the track yeah well this this made the whole last part of the race so very very exciting and you know kind of soul destroying if you're a haas fan because there they were seventh and eighth nice haul of points they would have been in fifth place had they pulled off the seven eight um bifecta i guess you would call it uh and then Magnuson and Grosjean get a little bit punchy. Grosjean gets the great toe down the straight, uh, or Magnuson gets a great toe down the straight, and Grosjean, inexplicably to me, leaves the inside of the track wide open for him. Magnuson's like, okay, bro, here I go. And up he goes, and Grosjean, and I watched both onboards to be sure, Grosjean absolutely comes over on him, bounces off the tire because Magnuson is far, far ahead. It's it's rear tire Magnuson, front tire Grosjean. This sends him wide, but he manages to get round, get round the bollard and back onto the track without losing a spot. Follows him for two and a half laps, tries the same move, and it's equally fail-tastic. Goes off again. This time he hits like the little yellow uh, safety curb, bounces up in the air, and now the next lap, here comes Kvyat. Boom, right by him because he's gotten his tires dirty and he's losing traction. Two laps later, here comes Signs, 
Same thing. He leaves the inside open. Signs comes up. They bounce. He goes wide. His tires are dirty. And you can just see him squirming around. And he winds up scoring a single point, thankfully for him, because it's his first one of the season. But you just, you got to scratch your head sometimes. Got to scratch your head sometimes at what is going on in his head in these moments. He could have brought it home in eighth place. It would have been better for him. Jeansy, is it as simple as... uh like Grosjean seems like quite a nice bloke and Magson just isn't. Is it, is it as simple as that? K-Mag put on a perfect display of defensive driving today uh, when they were fighting against each other. It was it was a really, really good showing from him and Grosjean didn't. Um, so- he just left himself wide open in various different situations and he was never coming off well. He was clever enough not to want to have a crash that's why he kept bailing uh, and taking the, I say, easy route. He's got to have a bad back after hitting that speed bump several times. And to be fair, the damage that speed bump would have yeah. done to his floor um, would have been another factor to why he just completely fell off a cliff. You're talking about Magnussen's defensive driving. A lot of the time, he seemed to be like defending when no one was actually going down the inside. And you, so you can imagine the car behind going, hey, K-Mag, it's cool. I'm not attacking. And K-Mag's like, no, no, but really, no, honestly, you're not passing. Like, just see what I'm doing here and take that as a, a nunshell pass. Because what, what he's doing is he's saying, if you want to go around me, you're going around the outside. And he's forcing them into that position because he can still, because even if they get alongside him, you can then stroll can still, them, can't you, into turn two? <laughs> he can still come back. He can still come back across to them not hit them obviously and he's obviously very good on the brakes because he was breaking very very late into turn one and made it very very difficult you know it's that it's a very classic move to say right i'm here you are going where i want you to go i'm not i'm moving early to make sure that yeah. you're going in the position where i want you Imagine- he knew what he was doing it was very clever and i was i my respect level has gone up a little bit for k-meg this weekend i'm just imagining uh, matt what if has like ever get in the title mix it's chaos isn't it because you've got a fast driver who's a little delicate and jumpy and will leave his foot in was it last year where he left his foot in trying to get back on track and then you've got k-mag who is quick enough probably not ultimately as fast as Grosjean, but just carnage. Like, he's, he is as Verstappen-y as Verstappen, isn't he? Uh, I, I like both those drivers, and I like Haas. Yeah, it is true. And we're seeing this dynamic play out right now in real time at the team because you know Steiner has got to be on edge because Grosjean, in terms of development and in terms of flat-out speed, I think brings it to the team and is very useful. But man, he's just like a point black hole for someone with that much talent. And this is problematic when you're battling in the midfield. It's his consistency that's a problem. He's a fast driver. There's absolutely no doubting that. But he can't be consistent. That's where K-Mag's beating him. I wouldn't say K-Mag is necessarily faster than Grosjean, but he's a hell of a lot more consistent. I don't, I can't actually put my finger on a time I've seen K-Mag actually make a mistake on his own without a problem. I haven't really seen him crash into anybody apart from that incident with Nico Hulkenberg, but I can't even remember the incident, so it couldn't have been that bad. Um, he's aggressive, nothing wrong with being aggressive, but I, in those situations, I'm not like, oh God, K-Mag, you end up in a wall. You put Grosjean in the same situation, I'm like, oh God, who's Grosjean going to hit? Is there going to be a safety car now because Grosjean's involved in a scrap? You don't get that with Greg, with K-Mag. 
Lewis Hamilton wins the Spanish Grand Prix with Valtteri Bottas in second place and the Red Bull getting ahead of the Ferraris for third. Mentioned in dispatches, perhaps both Toro Rosso drivers, Albon and Kvyat, being very punchy. Alfa Romeo, unfortunately, nowhere. And Renault continuing their indifferent season. People seem to be quite mixed on Renault. It's it's like the question, should you cut a pizza with a pizza roller cutty knifey thing or with scissors? Obviously with scissors, because if you do it with the pizza rolly thing, you can never quite tell, Matt, if you've gone all the way through and then you just end up ripping the bread. It's a whole mess. Just use a plasma cutter. No problems. Okay, I'll get hold of one right now. It's time for the awards, Jeansy. First of all, let's start with you. Would you cut a pizza with scissors or one of those blunt circle knives? So I I generally use a pizza cutter. um, Why? But I got bought as a present once the pizza scissors. And they're horrible, and I don't like using them. Oh. Um, I can say that. Though, if you're wrong don't... about that, how can we trust anything else? I used to, my first job was Pizza Hut. I know how to cut a pizza. And also, if you're struggling to know if you've gone through the pizza dough, you're not buying expensive enough pizzas because your dough's not crispy enough. Oh, touche. Love it. Although you are kind of putting down Mrs. Spanner's homemade pizza crust there. I'll let you deal with the fallout of that one. She doesn't Jean- listen, so it's fine. Nope, doesn't listen to anything I do. Jeansy, imagine if she did. My marriage wouldn't last a second. Jeansy, uh, who would you give your thing of the weekend to? That's the good award. Hang on, I've sort of got a... We could use the correct sound from the... That's the correct sound from the quiz. So who who's your thing of the weekend? Lewis's, Lewis's start. That was phenomenal. I mean, it was so good. I thought it was a jump start. I thought I saw him roll before the lights and he just launched it. Whether Bottas's poor start made it look better, but I, I, whenever I watch the start, I'm always looking at Lewis. I, I don't know if the, I don't know if everyone knows I'm a Hamilton fan. I don't know if it's known, but yeah, I'm a bit oh, you, you So try, I watch, <laughs> so I watch, like I watch Lewis at the start because uh. I always worry about Lewis's starts. They're either epic or rubbish. And this one, he just launched and I was just like, that's an awesome start. He's going to lead in turn one. Okay, I'll stop it now. Sorry. Trumpets, who's your thing of the weekend? It's got to be Kevin Magnuson in the Haas with the update. And I'll tell you why. He finished only 100th behind his admittedly faster teammate. And they were six tenths clear in qualifying of the next closest midfield team, and only three-tenths back of Gasly. They seem to have found when they can get the tires to work properly, which is not a guarantee and not a guarantee at Monaco. They seem to have found their own little place. And it's nice to see a midfield team get that close to the sharp end. Fantastic. Sarah Nickel, media guru, helps me whenever Miss Apex need anything vaguely media related, for which, for which I thank you. Who gets your thing of the weekend award and we should say that we can follow you on twitter sarah by following at decoding dragons because you are a dungeon person yes Wait, i'm yes. i'm an occasion occasional nerd but i also you know speaking of sharp things the other thing with the, one of those pizza cutter things if you get a sharp one that's also really really helpful they never last do they and then if you try and sharpen them against a stone they just roll it's useless so uh, let's let's go on to your thing of the weekend though 
So my thing of the weekend is actually going to be Dan- Daniel Kvyat because there weren't that many overtakes on track, relatively speaking. And he did a beautiful one who I can't remember who it was on now, but because I was so incensed that it got called out as being Alexander Al- Albon's at oh, the no. time. And it was so beautiful. And then I was sitting there going, but I thought, but I thought Alex was like seventh and this is for, this is Kimi Raikkonen who's right. Da- it was right. Yeah. It was Raikkonen right down the back. Yeah. And then, but I just thought it's such a, it's been a good solid race for him. And I think he deserves, you know, he's come in, he's actually beaten his teammate and I think he's doing really well. Fiat was awesome today. He was overtaking everybody today. He did some fantastic moves. And that move around the outside round turn, you don't go around the outside round turn four. That was stunning. I was, I, I, to be fair, I was guilty. I, I saw a Toro Rosso and I assumed it could only be Alex Albon because it's not off the track. So for, 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 and I like Fiat. I think he's a lovely lad, but his racing has something, something to be questioned, but not today. He was phenomenal. No, I mean, he's he's going to get sacked at any moment. But, you know, it's ne- the hope's never finished with Kvyat because he could come back as well. So it's it's fine. We don't need to feel sorry for him. But yes, let's give him credit where it's due. And I'm going to go up the Red Bull ladder for my thing of the weekend. Just Red Bull in general. It's a few races late for sure. But they do seem to have, have come and, and come with a package that means business. Obviously, we're all going to line up around Monaco now where they are strong. So if they can get good qualifying positions, they might be able to stay near the front of the parade. But it will be interesting in Canada, won't it, Matt? Can, can their upgrades really show something in Canada where you need a bit of grunt and a bit of traction and a bit of down that long straight? Can they overtake people before the wall of champions? I'm optimistic that this is a real step forward. Yeah, I, I think it is an absolute step forward for them. And if Honda continue to keep pace, they could they could usurp the the second position that Ferrari occupy by default right now if Ferrari do not get their house in order. All right, let's do the bad thing award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Jeansy, if I was to ban everybody from picking Ferrari, are you all going to riot? Have you all just said Ferrari? Have you gotten any non-Ferrari missed the apexes for me then? Yeah, mine's completely superficial. What the hell were those trophies? <laughs> they were they were hideous. And the constructors one was marginally nice and the drivers one. It was red plastic for crying out loud. This is Formula One. I've got a I'd planned this before the show and forgotten and actually then didn't do it. But I've got a trophy in my trophy room, which is the downstairs loo. And it's better than the F1 trophy. If you've got anything that you were going to do but then didn't do, email me at spannersready at gmail.com. Is that not his new tagline? I've got this thing for the show, but I've forgotten to do it. <laughs> it can't all be goat rodeos. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the plastic trophies, at the Missed Apex Karting event, obviously I have to supply trophies and there isn't a huge trophy budget. So I do go down to Timpson's and I go, oh, you know, how far can I stretch? And I awarded the third and fourth most expensive trophy that Timpson's had to offer. So that was a £9.95 and 12 quid. So it did really burst the bank there. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Um, Renault. Yeah, okay. Go into detail. But yeah, always, always. I mean, Renault is everybody's 10th favourite team, aren't they? Yeah, well, they, the thing is, I, I wouldn't have a problem with Renault. Had they not shown up with like the largest midfield budget, with all kinds of pretensions to be, we will be a manufacturer. That is pretty racist. I'm going to have to edit that out. Yeah. It's okay. just my attempt at a French accent. 
No, it was terrible. Okay, you know, carry on. Alienate some more of our audience. Yes, well, you know. And then they turn up with their update at Barcelona, and, and they've they've been mixing it. They've been scrappy, and we've seen some steps forward. And then they just, they're nowhere. They're nowhere at the testing track with their updates that are supposed to put them solidly into fourth and chasing Red Bull, who is a customer team, or who was formerly a customer team of their power unit, but not even McLaren, who wound up doing quite a good job with that same power unit. I mean, they showed some pace in quality. Rick, Danny Rick got into Q2, got into Q3. So there is, I think there's some inherent pace in that car that they just need to unlock. And I think they're struggling to unlock it. And they still look like they're struggling under braking. Uh, lots of lockups from them through practice. Lots of a few lockups through messing up um, in qualifying. We didn't get to see it in the race, but I can't assume it just went away in the race. Um, I think they've got a few issues, but I think there's potentially inherent pace in that car. Whether they'll unlock it this year, I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess if you look at the bright side, neither of their none of their engines blew up. That is incredibly faint praise, but okay, we'll roll with that. Sarah Nickel. Oh, in fact, we should say that if you if you're a fan of smutty books or your wife is, then I guess that's the kind of thing we sell. It can't all be... I know I'm always going on about Harry's razors, but that's because of the ergonomically weighted handle. But sometimes we've got to talk about Matt's wife and her penchant for writing smutty books. Yes, we do. At A. Weaver Writes. Go find her, Amanda Weaver, on your favourite ebook seller. She's got a new book that's about to drop from Karina Press. And I can let slip that she's been touching up her Formula One series and right. it might be back out. You've been a liability this week, honestly. I Like, bring back Nick Alexander quickly. Right, He's been it? a liability on a show that I'm on. Yeah, I know. Right, so what was the book called again, Matt? The Formula um, One one? It's going to be a Formula One book about sexy The Formula times. One book she's working on, it's going to be oh, submitted right. again to some publishing houses. I just thought I would tease that for people. But the one that's about to be out is Love and the Laws of Motion. You all right there, Sarah? How's it going? Yeah, I'm fine. Holding I'm, up okay. I'm totally fine. Good. Uh, what is your Missed Apex Award this week? Well, seeing as I can't have the uh, Ferrari, I'll go for... Um, we'll be going for Racing Point. What? Just, just nowhere. Like A real shame. The entire time. Like, Perez was, what, 13th in yep. the end? Not good. Jeansy? To be fair, you don't say Racing Point, you say Perez. Because Stroll is always nowhere. So... Perez was nowhere, so that means there's a problem with racing point. Um, and it was a shame. They just were nowhere, you know, for, for Perez to not even get in the middle of Q2 let alone, and, and being at the back of Q2. Um, yeah, it's a shame. Real shame, because they should be good. My Missed Apex Award and Pony Award goes to Lewis Hamilton. Ah, oh, the pony button's not working. But uh, the behaviour behind the safety car, like, dude, I, I feel you. Because I know that you're you've just lost like an eleven or a seven point lead at that point, and I know the whole pack is behind you now that you had miles off in the distance. But Jeansy, he got so close to that safety car, heart in your mouth time, and then was quite ponyish on the radio. Well, the first time he got close, the camera cut as he was like underneath yeah. the bumper of the safety car. I'm like, I'm, oh my god, Hamilton just hit the safety car. I was but very unhappy. He has a- he has a tendency to get very close to the safety car, generally. He was very just, he was angry. He was angry, oh, legit. But he was annoyed, and he knows how difficult it is to keep temperature in the tyres. Um, but it was going really slowly, though. It, lo- it didn't look like it was being pushed around that circuit. It looked like it was being driven around to let the rest of the field catch up. Um, 
they've got to do something. They need a faster safety car. With F1 cars getting quicker and quicker and quicker, you can't have a slightly beefed up road car as a safety car. It's got to be something that's a bit quick that they can to still just turn on and go. Imagine, because that's us watching it, imagine being his mum and watching that. You've got, no, just give it some space for goodness sake. Yeah. Any ponies? Any other ponies, anyone? Or goats? You, you've got a, a Daddy I Want a Goat award, Matt? I would have to go with Grosjean for his immense ponying after the safety car. Absolutely. Thank you very much to my panel. Matt Trumpets, my podcasting brother in arms. Alex Jeansy Van Jean, who, I mean, if you search Alex Van Jean on any social media, that's him. There are no others. And Sarah Nickel, you can find by searching Decoding Dragons on Twitter. We will be back for a Sunday show, which will be news and a Monaco preview. We are also going to be covering the new W series with our new podcast, Sarah, Missed Apex W series. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun so far because Bradley joined us. Uh, Bradley joined you on the last two episodes, along with uh, Sarah Bovey, from, who's the reserve driver for the W series. Uh, no, on the first episode I had BBC's Ellen Ellard joining me, speaking to Sarah Bovey, who is the the first reserve for the series. So if anyone drops out, Sarah Bovey jumps in there. And she was right up the pack uh, in first practice as well. So she looks like she's getting up to speed nicely. Uh, so do tune into that. Also, catch up with Matt and Chris talking about electric car racing. They cover the Monaco E-Prix, I believe, on Tuesday, Matt, with a live stream. I believe that is the plan, although in typical fashion, we have yet to confirm it. And for patrons, you can catch up with me and Matt whenever we do our next Patreon podcast, Wafflecast. Until we see you again, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. Hit it, Bjorn. All right, Alex, I hit the mic twice and you only hit the table a few times. So I'm going to count the table once. <laughs> I'm going to count that as a victory. Yes! I'm going to count that as a victory to you. Fantastic. I, I actually enjoyed that race and uh, I didn't have the benefit. No, no. And I didn't have the benefit of all the social media. So I didn't have people telling me it was boring or terrible or telling me what to think. Comment or race in 60? <laughs> I thought we'd finished. No, do you know what? I genuinely love comment of the week, right? So tell tell you what, do tell me, because our chat room is fantastic and you can join them by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. It's not because I don't love you. Stop. Oh my God, look at all the comment. Yeah, all right. God, don't need to be mean about it. What's the comment of the week? <laughs> Race it up 100 seconds. seconds. All right, comment of the week. Boy, we had some very, very honorable mentions, but I've nibbled it down to four, I believe, starting with Michael Dieselhoff. Yeah, point for Grosjean. At least now he gets to eat. Thank you for the shout-out to the Netflix series. Base <laughs> Valley, Kubica on radio just now. Quote, I did not know Spain was a night race. Ouch. Paul Young, how does it work that Daddy's Wallet F1 Point have more money and are less competitive? Which might have been a question, but I took it for a comment. And finally, our old friend European telling us that Renault is now launching a new line of gravel mowers. <laughs> well, who's the winner of this week's comment of the week, Matt Trumpets? 
Ooh, I think the winner will have to be Base Valley. Kubica on radio just now. Quote, I did not know Spain was a night race. Comment of the week. I definitely get it. But while I figure that out, why don't you tell us what happened in just 60 seconds? Lights out. Great start. Hamilton. Hamilton and Botas. Vettel and Hamilton. Three wide. Vettel to lock up. Verstappen gets Leclerc. Verstappen gets Vettel. Vettel flat spot. Vettel lets Leclerc go. Vettel pits. Verstappen pits. Gasly pits. Leclerc pits for the hard tire. Botas pits. Hamilton pits. It's not going to be all pits, really. I promise. Vettel catches Leclerc. Vettel pits again. Verstappen pits. Everyone pits. Toro Rosso forgets their wheels. Stroll hits Norris safety car. Restart. Gasly and Leclerc. Magnuson and Grosjean. Magnuson gets Grosjean. Grosjean wide. Magnuson and Gasly. Gasly defends. Grosjean and Magnuson. Magnuson defends. Grosjean wide. Again. Kvyat gets Grosjean. Signs on Grosjean. Grosjean wide. I sense a theme here. Signs gets Grosjean. Also sense a theme here. Albin doesn't get Grosjean. Checkers. Hamilton wins. Grosjean gets a point. Renault? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry champagne, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. <laughs> 